You're listening to Formby Podcast. In this episode, we're with an expert who specialises in creatures that live on the dunes. Here we learn about the tiger beetles, ragwort and moths. Also on the beach then, we were going to talk about the tiger beetle. Oh yeah. That, that's one of our uh, real, really special insects. Um, it's about three quarters of an inch long uh, and it's sort of purpley brown in colour with uh, whitish stripes um, on the wing cases, hence the, the name tiger beetle. It's also a very ferocious predator, which is perhaps also why it's called a tiger beetle. Um, so you don't want to be a small insect or a, or a spider in its way when it's uh, hunting. Um, they have huge jaws and very, very spectacular things in close-up. Um, and sort of fluorescent legs, very odd um, structural colours on the legs, which sort of glow, really nice. Um, and there are only two, two places in, in, in Britain where you, where you get them, uh, here on the Sefton coast, and up in Cumbria, a place called Drig Dunes. Um, they've got plenty there, but we, we have the majority of them here. Um, they used to occur in a few other places in the northwest, but they, all, the, all those became extinct. Um, so we've got quite a responsibility to look after it. And and how do you know that we've got tiger beetles? They, well, you can see them um, fairly easily if you know what you're looking for. Um, it's fairly big beetles. Beetles go. Um, they run about very quickly on the dunes. In fact, they're they're Tiger beetles in general are thought to be the fastest of all the insects in terms of running. Um, and one of the interesting things that was found by research is that um, they run so fast that their eyes can't keep up and they have to stop every couple of seconds or so for their eyes to catch up with the image in front of them. Uh, so they, they have this stop-start running uh, style, which you, you can see if you, if you go and watch them in the dunes. Um, so they stop to see what is in front of them and then they run again and then they stop again and so it goes on. Uh, you, you can watch them hunting but I've actually, I don't think I've ever seen them catch anything because the, one of the things that they try to catch is a little wasp, a spider hunting wasp, which is extremely quick and uh, I've, I've seen tigers running after them but the wasp all, always jumps out of the way I've never seen them catch one they obviously do catch things they don't need a lot of food because of course they're cold-blooded uh, they, they rely on the temperature of the sand when it's, uh, when it's sunny and you only see them when it's sunny they, uh, they, they get the heat of their bodies from the sand and they operate at a temperature very similar to ours. Their body temperature has to be about 36 degrees for them to, uh, to work. Um, if it gets hotter than that, they have two techniques. One is to raise themselves up on tiptoes, so that they're, they're, slightly, you know, they're in a slightly cooler uh, layer of air. Or alternatively, they burrow into the sand, down into the cooler sand. And wait for it to uh, to cool down. Similarly, if it's not sunny, they they just sit in their burrows waiting for the sun to come out. 
It's an amazing thing. There are, t there are two generations of them a year, uh, so you only see the adults at two periods of time during the year. One uh, in sort of early May, June, and then there's usually a gap in July where you don't see any, and then uh, and then the the late summer brood emerges in in August. So with these, they've got fluorescent legs. Yeah. Do they glow in the dark? No, I don't think so. Um, I've never looked to be honest. Um, uh, yeah, perhaps fluorescent isn't isn't the right word. Um, they have sort of red and green um, reflections. It's 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 called in. I think it's called interference. Lots of insects go in for this sort of um, structural coloration. They don't have. Uh, they don't necessarily have pigments. They have very fine uh, striations on their bodies, which ref refract the light in various ways, and and and, and we perceive it as. Uh, a, a bright coloration, sometimes uh, almost fluorescent. And what is the life cycle of these tiger beetles? Yes, they lay their eggs in bare sand. They need bare sand to survive. Um, and the larvae live as predators in the sand. Uh, they create a tunnel and uh, they have an opening at the top and they sit with their heads in the opening got a big sort of flat head and until an ant or a spider or a spatula jump out and grab it they've got big jaws like the adults um, so they, they live for several months in fact the, the later generation lives uh, hibernates over winter and then emerges in the, in the following spring um, so yeah they, they, the larvae live in the sand and again it emphasizes the point that they do need bare sand because one of the problems we have in terms of providing that is that the dunes have become much more stable over the last half century or so. So bare sand is, is now to premium. What you what you're getting is coarse vegetation and, and scrub particularly, and that's in vast amounts, which uh, colonise the bare sand and reduce the habitat available for tiger beetles and lots of other uh, specialist creatures that live in the sand dunes including things like the nephrojack toad, sand lizard, lots of plants, all of which require bare sand. So does the star grass, does that count as something that... Marin. The marin grass. Yes. Is that regarded, is that regarded as something that would, they wouldn't live near that? Oh no, that, that's the habitat in which they do live. The, the, the frontal dunes where the marin grows, marin requires mobility, mobile sand. It won't grow in, in fixed dunes because it, it requires uh, a continuous rain of blown sand to stimulate it. Um, and, and it will only flower where it's being uh, inundated by sand. It'll grow up in up to a, up to a metre depth of sand per year. It will grow through that. Uh, so it's, it's a dune former. It doesn't it doesn't live very much at all in the older dunes where, where the scrub is a problem. I took a photograph a few weeks ago of. Yeah, is is this the is that flowering marin grass? So it's it, if I can give you that. Yes. Yeah. Can you see? Yes, that's it. Yeah, that's that. Those are the flowers. So that's flowering marin grass. Yeah. So in that situation, the National Trust have got it absolutely spot on because you have flowering marangrass. Mm. 
then yeah, there may be some reservations, but you know, <laughs> I need to stand in front of it and have a look. <laughs> because that means if it's flowering, it's thriving. Yes. yes. So it's happy marrowing grass. Yes. And you're absolutely. If you look at marrowing grasses as you go further back in the dunes, um, it, it gets more and more what we would call depauperate which is a, a technical term for sort of lying flat and, and not looking well and sort of growing very poorly uh, and not flowering. Uh, as I say, as you go further back in the dunes, the, the, the sand supply is cut off by the dunes further to the west. Uh, so you don't get any, any well, much deposition of sand on the older dunes and the marrow gradually dies out and is re replaced by other plants. Geranium species. In fact, we have, I think it's 1,250 different higher plants on the sand dunes. <laughs> I keep an inventory of all of them. Do you? So do you go mm. out onto the dunes and then collect and bring them back and inspect them? And I record them. I don't bring. No, I very rarely bring anything back. Um, I, I can identify nearly everything I find on the dunes now. I've been at it for 50 years. So what's that yellow one that's on there? That's common ragwort. A very important plant. It's It's got a bad reputation. It's very poisonous, uh, isn't it? It, it is, yes. Um, if nothing, nothing will eat it because it's so distasteful. But the problem arises when it grows in pasture that's grazed by horses uh, or cattle. Um, they won't eat it. But if it's then mowed and incorporated into hay, it loses its distastefulness and then things will eat it and, and get poisoning, particularly horses. Um, so the, the trick is not, not, to call, not to create hay from fields that have got ragwort in them. But ragwort is a very important plant for insects. And it's an <coughs> important plant on the dunes. It, it is. So can you describe common ragwort for me, please? Yeah, it's a, it's a member of the composite family. Um, it has bright yellow flowers and sort of deeply divided leaves. Um, it grows about up to about a metre high, uh, very variable. Um, it's used as a nectar source for a huge variety of different insects, particularly late in the year when sources are, are hard to find. And it also has a, a suite of specialist insects which feed on the leaves including a thing called a cinnabar moth, which has very brightly coloured black and orange caterpillars, uh, look a bit like a rugby jersey. Um, and they, they are warningly coloured because they extract the poisons from the ragwort and incorporate them into their bodies so that they're distasteful and even poisonous to birds that might want to eat them. And they advertise that fact by uh, feeding out in the open on the tops of the ragwort plants. Whereas most caterpillars, of course, are, are camouflage and try to hide themselves away. The caterpillars of the cinnabar moth advertise the fact that they're poisonous. And of course they pass those poisons on to the adult moths, which are black and red, which is another warning coloration. So does that mean that when the bats eat them, they, they get poisoned by the... or they'll just bite them and go, well, well I don't they're, really know. they're actually day-flying moths, so the bats don't see them. <laughs> they don't fly in the dark. 
Most moths, of course, do fly in the dark. The cinnabar moth is a day flyer. And, um, and, and we obviously have cinnabar moths on, on flying around on Formby dunes, do we? Yes, in, in June and the, when they're out, just for a short period. They don't, they don't have a long flight season. And are those, that, so which, which is the caterpillar that we see that's got those spikies on them? And you see them on the golf course and they're always crawling around, but they, they're crawling. They're very hairy ones. Yeah. There's a whole group of them, um, a whole family, in fact, of moths that have hairy caterpillars. And the commonest ones are one called the fox moth, which is sort of very dark brown, uh, quite big, up to four inches long. And then another one is the oak egger, which is also quite common. That's a paler, more variable colour. But we also have a very rare one nationally, um, called a grass egger, which is a beautiful sort of uh, orangey brown colour, a really attractive thing, but it, it's quite uncommon. You, you hardly ever see them. Um, do we have those in Formby? We do, yes. In fact, this is one of their main localities now in Britain. They've declined so much nationally. So can you describe the moth, that moth, yeah. the, so the name, and then just describe what it looks like? The moth itself, uh, the male and female, look quite different, actually. Um, they're, they're both brown. The male's much smaller. And it has big, sort of, feathery antennae. Uh, and it's one of these species that detects the female by um, the female giving off pheromones, which the male uh, detects at very low concentrations and flies towards, using its uh, feathery antennae to detect them. Um, but you don't see them all. The moths are, are night flyers in this case, uh, and they're quite well camouflaged. And the name of those moths are? The grass egger, E-double-G-A-R, <laughs> I think it is. <laughs> and, the, and this, and what's the caterpillar look like for those? It, for that one, it's this bright orange, uh, hairy caterpillar, um, but they're not very often seen. So would we see those on the golf course or would we see them on the dunes? Or? They can be found anywhere on the dunes. They feed on, on common plants like creeping willow and bramble. Um, so the, the, the food plant is ubiquitous. Uh, it's just that for some reason the moths are quite rare. Formby Podcast is an independent production. It comes to you free. If you'd like us to tell your story or you know of a story, contact us at formbypodcast at gmail.com. See you next time.